0: She left the reservation, this was back in the 1940s, uh, late 40s, and she left the reservation went into the big city of Albuquerque where she gave birth to this uh, beautiful, bouncing, genius baby boy and then abandoned me at birth. Daigute! Welcome, my friends, to The Storyteller, where you'll find First Nations people from across Native North America who are following Jesus Christ without reservation. On today's program, you'll hear about a Mescalero Apache baby who was abandoned at birth and seemed destined for a very difficult life. But at the age of eight, God stepped in and changed the course of his life forever. I know about this story all too well, and I love to tell it, because, well, I was that baby. Hi, my name is Soapy Dollar. I'm a Native American, Mescalero Apache Indian, from the reservation there in southern New Mexico, the tribe of Cochise and Geronimo, Victoria. Uh, so proud of that legacy and that heritage, but uh, it took me a lot of years to... To become proud and to understand it, I uh, was born in a very difficult situation. The uh, young girl on the reservation, 19-year-old girl named Yolanda, got pregnant out of wedlock. And when time came to deliver the baby, she left the reservation. This was back in the 1940s, uh, late 40s. And she left the reservation, went into the big city of Albuquerque, where she gave birth to this uh, beautiful, bouncing, genius baby boy and then abandoned me at birth. Yolanda was not prepared, uh, probably emotionally or in any way, to handle a child. Uh, happily, this was in the days before abortion became such a uh, prominent uh, option for young girls, but she abandoned uh, me on the streets of Albuquerque and another lady came along. Her name was Princess babe Hawk. Princess Babe Hawk was a fifty year old woman five zero fifty year old woman She had been married three times was separated from her third husband and um she was a fortune teller uh, She worked with the crystal ball and the tarot cards and palm reading and that sort of thing, and as a magician's assistant and she came along and found this uh, beautiful bouncing genius, Baby Boy and had compassion in her heart to to take me in and take care of me and took me home and i lived with her for the first 5 years of my life uh, she was not able to afford or to time wise to take care of me adequately perhaps as as a full-time mother but she had children adult children by her first marriage and uh, she passed me around to them and to other neighbors and friends and acquaintances Uh, it's my understanding I lived with about 16 families before I was six years old. And that's, uh, where I've often accused my mother. I I thought of Princess Babe Hawk as my mother. I didn't know about all the rest of this about the Yolanda and, and her being pregnant, the 19 year old girl at the reservation. I didn't learn about her until many years later. I'd always thought that Princess Babe Hawk had been my mother. I suppose I should have figured it out. A lady at 50 years of age and more probably wouldn't be having a small child, but when you're a child, you don't think of those things. Uh, but, uh, she passed me around to many different families. Since my name is Dollar, uh, I've always kind of accused her of passing the buck because that's, uh, I figured that's where that phrase came from. I got passed around to all these families. And then, uh, when I was almost six, a few months before I was six years old, she began to negotiate and entered in contact with a home for homeless and delinquent boys up in Texas, in the panhandle of Texas, Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. He had begun a home for homeless and delinquent boys out on the uh prairies, out on the open prairies of West Texas, a little cowboy ghost town called Old Tascosa with his sandstone jail, courthouse and jail, and he had been given about 200 acres, and he was transforming that into a home for young boys that he found on the streets of, a, of this town, Amarillo, Texas, that uh, didn't have homes and families. Uh, they had about eighty boys there at that time. When she began to write Mr. Farley and ask him if he, if he would consider taking this little Indian boy, and which uh, the ranch eventually said yes, they would. And so on June the first, nineteen fifty-five, I went to live at. Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. Uh, I was only five years old, almost six, but I was very nervous. It was uh, my first day there. I was a little scared and intimidated, Uh, all the adults and, of course, all the the, the ranch. and The setting was totally new and all these boys. And they told me I needed to go wash my face and hands for lunch after we had met for a while in the office building. So they took me to the home for the younger boys, eight years old and under. And they said, go wash your face and hands. It's time to go have lunch together. So I did. But in my nervousness and my haste, I left soap behind my ears and on my neck. And when they inspected me to see that I had washed properly and so on, they found that soap behind my ears and they called me Soapy. They even introduced me at the uh, dining hall. We have a five-year-old Soapy Dollar has come to live with us. (laughs) And so I never w- was able to uh, overcome that, and I've been known as Soapy Dollar for uh, all these many years now. I never was able to shake that nickname. Uh I don't mind it at all now. I, I like New Man Dollar because in some ways uh, later on as I-, I came to faith to walk with God and to know him, I always thought it was wonderful that somehow somebody prophetically, back when uh, they were putting a name on a birth certificate, they had come up with the name New Man. And I felt it was prophetic because the Bible promises that in Christ, when we come to faith in Christ and come into that relationship with God, that we become a new person, a new man. As I settled into life at the ranch, they put me for my first years in a dorm with very small children, eight years old and under. But when you turned eight, you were moved to the big dorms where you lived with boys from eight to 16 or 17. And it got a little meaner and a little tougher. The schedule was wanted. You'd get up every morning at six, clean up our rooms, make our beds and, you know, dress ourselves, go to breakfast. And then from breakfast, go back and have roll call to make sure everybody was still there. Nobody had run off. And then we would go to school all during the day on the, in the school months. And then we'd come back for lunch, and roll call again, and go to lunch. And we all ate in a big common cafeteria, 400 boys woofing down tons of food in 15 minutes and getting out and going back to school. And after school, we had chores of different kinds. Uh, small boys, we would pick up around the dorm, pull weeds, clean up, and do chores. The older boys did all the jobs, for example, that would be needed in any given city. Uh, the boys did all the electrical. They did all the construction. Uh, they did the repair work and all the farm buildings and took care of the cattle and the livestock. So we had tremendous, it was a tremendous vocational education opportunity because they had to do everything that would have to be done in a small town. Carpentry, plumbing, electrical, and so on. And, uh, so that was the lifestyle of the ranch. And I, they, when I was eight, they put me into the dorm with the older boys and I got put in the, dorm with this young, a 16-year-old boy named Danny. I was in his very room. There were six boys to a room, six rooms to a dorm, and we had three bunk beds, so we would have six boys to a room, and I was in Danny's room. Danny was the big man on campus. He was the meanest, toughest, most foul-mouthed boy on the ranch, and we all wanted to grow up and be just as tough and mean as he was. But he would kick us around, uh, hit us. Uh, yell at us, force us to do his chores and things. Just a very, very mean fellow. Like I said, the very fine athlete, very uh, high influence on the ranch. But one day, Danny just changed totally without any explanation, without any warning. His life changed. His demeanor changed. His vocabulary changed everything about him and nobody knew what had happened. He just. Was changed. All of a sudden he was gentle and kind and took us a while to even begin to understand his speech because his vocabulary had changed so much. Uh, he treated us gently and kindly and, and everyone thought he was sick. Not only, you know, us boys, but even the dorm parents were wondering what's wrong with Danny because he had been so mean and so, you know, breaking all the rules and such a terrible influence. But he, all of a sudden he, he was changed and it took two or three weeks and, By that time, everybody was wondering what happened. And one night, the chaplain said, some of you have been asking questions about Danny Fletcher. I want to ask Danny to come up and tell you a little bit about his life tonight. And this was in an evening chapel service. And Danny got up and in very few words, very kind of quiet, but very clear, he said, I've decided to give my life to Jesus Christ. And it was just like a bomb going off in the chapel. It was like, ooh, that... That caused a stir that lasted probably for 20 years. His conversion, and as he came to Christ in the next coming weeks, two to three, four, five weeks, Norris Johnson, Gerald Anderson, just over and over, the older, bigger boys, 16, 17, 18-year-old, tougher boys, one by one, they began to give their life to Christ as well. And it just began a spiritual movement that, like I said, lasted probably for about 20 years as it, the people that were caught up in it as their lives influenced many, many others. And that's how I came into faith, uh, just through the influence of Danny's life being changed. I, in the, those weeks, I gave my life to Christ as well. And, and, of course, it didn't take long in at the boys' home where I grew up. I, I was eager. I had always been eager and wondering about God. I remember one of my earliest memories is, at the ranch one Saturday afternoon, we had a little time to ourselves, and I wandered over to a little lake that was on the ranch property. And I nestled down into the uh, cattails that are growing up at the edges of this lake, and I nestled down into them. Was lying on my back, looking up at the sky and the clouds that were drifting by in the in the uh, beautiful blue sky. And I remember this very clearly: this wondering in my mind, "Who am I? Where?" Where do I belong? What significance do I have? Is there any purpose who Who made this world and God, if you're there do do I matter to you? What is my place? Is there any uh you know i don't know mom and dad i don't know a background and so on and, and I remember early on wondering a, a whole lot about my place in the world and and uh if there was any significance to my life, or is I just kind of drifting along here like a uh, a twig on the sitting on the on the waves of the ocean and, and no significance and no background, no, no future. Uh, I remember having these thoughts and wondering, and it was about that time that I began to be involved in some of the Bible classes at the boys home. They, they were non-denominational. They didn't talk to us about church or about church rituals so much as just taught us from that old book. And we read these wonderful stories of, of, uh, this man, a man named Jesus who loved people and helped people cared about people and and came to bring us into the family of God have you ever wondered whether you matter to God I certainly did and the answer I found is the same for you listen to what Jesus says in the Bible in John chapter 3 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life My friend, God loves us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sin's penalty by His death on the cross. And then He raised Jesus from the dead, proving that justice was satisfied. This was His plan in order to reconcile us and bring us into His family. It's for me. It's for you. It's for whoever will place their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's how much we matter to God. How much does He matter to you? If you have any questions or comments, you can write to us at The Storyteller, P.O. Box 1001, Bemidji, Minnesota, 56619. Our phone number is 877-766-4648. That's 877 766 You can also find us online at withoutreservation.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, the greatest story took place at the cross. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's more to my story, so be sure to join us again next time as we listen to The Storyteller.